Welcome to SNC's podcast series, SNC Critical Insights. My name is Joe Metellus. I'm a partner in Sullivan and Cromwell's Antitrust Group. With me today is one of my colleagues, Samantha Hines. Samantha is also a member of the Antitrust Group. Hi, Samantha. Hi, Joe. Today, we're going to talk about what employers need to know about the changing antitrust ramifications of no poach agreements and other agreements affecting employee compensation. In 2016, the Antitrust Division of the U.S. Department of Justice announced that it intended to proceed criminally against both naked wage fixing as well as no poaching agreements. Four years later, the DOJ has followed through on that announcement with three criminal indictments returned between December of 2020 and April of 2021, all focused on agreements affecting employee compensation in the healthcare sector. We will talk about these developments at the DOJ, how employers can build appropriate protections into their compliance and training programs to educate senior executives and human resources personnel on the intersection of antitrust and employee compensation, how non-compete and non-solicit agreements can arise in the M&A context, and also the DOJ's leniency program. But first, let's take a step back. Samantha, can you start us off with some background on what wage fixing and no poach agreements are and why antitrust law prohibits them? I'd be happy to, Joe. U.S. antitrust law prohibits contracts and conspiracies in restraint of trade. The most common antitrust concern involves agreements between competing sellers of products or services. For example, an agreement among competitors to artificially increase prices charged their customers. But it is also possible for competing buyers to illegally restrain trade by agreeing to pay less for a product or service than they would otherwise pay in a competitive market. So as relevant here, employers that compete as buyers in the same pool of labor can violate U.S. antitrust laws when they agree with one another to suppress wages. Wage suppression agreements often take one of two forms. First are wage fixing agreements through which competing employers agree to fix compensation, including benefits, for employees at an agreed upon level. And the second is a no poach agreement through which competing employers agree not to solicit employees from one another, thereby suppressing the compensation those employees may have earned if their employers were forced to compete for their services. Now that we have the basics down, let's turn to recent DOJ activity in this area. Joe, could you talk a bit about the indictments involving wage fixing and no poach agreements that the DOJ returned in late 2020 and early 2021? Yes, but let's start with a little background first. In 2016, the DOJ's Antitrust Division, together with the Federal Trade Commission, published Guidance for Human Resources Professionals. In that guidance, the DOJ and the FTC asserted that, except when narrowly tailored as a necessary part of a legitimate collaboration between competitors, these kinds of agreements are per se illegal. Crucially, the then acting Assistant Attorney General, Renata Hesse, who is now a partner here at Sullivan and Cromwell, 
indicated that going forward, the antitrust division intended to pursue criminal charges against both individuals and companies that entered into naked wage fixing or no poaching agreements. It took a few years, but in December 2020, the DOJ carried through on that intention and announced the return of an indictment charging an owner of a therapist staffing company for participating in a conspiracy to fix the wages paid to physical therapists providing in-home physical therapy services in Texas. In April 2021, the DOJ announced the indictment of a second individual, the former clinical director at the staffing company, for his role in the same conspiracy. In the first quarter of 2021, the DOJ also announced the return of indictments related to two additional conspiracies. The first was an indictment of a healthcare staffing company and a former manager of that company for conspiring with a competitor to allocate employee nurses and to fix the wages of those nurses. The second was an indictment of a healthcare company that owns and operates outpatient medical care centers across the country for agreeing with its competitors not to solicit senior level employees. Criminal charges can result in significant adverse consequences for business organizations, such as large fines, and can carry prison sentences for individuals. A violation of the Sherman Act carries a statutory maximum penalty of 10 years in prison and a $1 million fine for individuals, and a maximum penalty of $100 million fine for corporations. Those fines can be increased to twice the gain derived from the crime or twice the loss suffered by victims if either amount is greater than the statutory maximum. Sam, in light of the DOJ's increased focus on criminal prosecutions in this area, what can companies do to ensure that HR decisions affecting employee compensation are being made in accord with the antitrust laws? Employers should include guidance on these issues in their compliance and training programs so that senior executives and HR professionals can be made aware of the substantial adverse consequences of entering into these types of agreements, both for their companies and for themselves as individuals. In our experience, HR professionals are sometimes entirely unaware that their work can have antitrust implications. And likewise, senior executives are sometimes not attuned to the antitrust implications of agreements involving labor inputs. It is worth noting that this is also not just a big company concern. When some people hear no poach, what comes to mind are the high profile, no cold call civil lawsuits that were brought against several of the big Silicon Valley firms in 2010. But these recent criminal indictments involve relatively small firms. In addition, employers should make sure their executives are attuned to the fact that potentially illegal agreements affecting employee compensation can also arise in the M&A context, where the parties to a transaction are also competitors in the labor markets. Joe, how have you seen this issue arise in the M&A context, and how might a troublesome provision of a deal document affect the merger clearance process? It is quite common for transaction agreements to include non-solicitation covenants that prohibit the seller from soliciting certain employees of the divested business for some period of time after a transaction closes. 
These covenants are often important deal terms for buyers because they protect the value of the business for which they paid. It is also common for sellers to ask a potential buyer to sign a non-disclosure agreement that includes a provision prohibiting the buyer from using information obtained in the due diligence process to directly solicit the seller's employees should the transaction not close. Although all non-solicitation covenants restrain trade to some degree in the sense that they limit competition for employee services, they are generally not considered unreasonable restraints of trade in violation of the U.S. antitrust laws because they are deemed ancillary to a legitimate business transaction. So long as the non-solicitation covenant is reasonably necessary for accomplishing the benefits of the transaction and narrowly tailored in scope and duration to the circumstances surrounding the transaction, it should be deemed to be a reasonable ancillary restraint that does not violate the antitrust laws. Whether a non-solicitation covenant is reasonably tailored to accomplish the benefits of the transaction is a fact-specific inquiry that turns on the nature of the business and the situation of the parties. There are, unfortunately, no bright line rules. The Federal Trade Commission did offer some limited guidance on this issue in a September 2019 blog post that offered that one must consider what you are trying to protect or guard against, why you need that protection, and the scope of the protection you actually need as opposed to want, given the value invested in the transaction. Non-solicitation covenants are often seen alongside non-compete provisions, whereby the seller agrees not to re-enter the market or solicit customers of the divested business for some period of time after the close of the transaction. Like non-solicitation agreements, non-compete agreements that are reasonably necessary for accomplishing the benefits of the transaction and narrowly tailored in scope and duration should not be found to violate antitrust law. Again, the facts matter. Some non-compete provisions and covenants are prohibited under certain state laws, so it is important for parties to understand which state's laws will apply to their agreement and whether that state prohibits or limits the enforceability of non-compete provisions. Again, there are no bright line rules and each situation needs to be assessed on its own facts. An unreasonable non-solicitation covenant can create an unwelcome distraction during the merger clearance process. The agencies can challenge non-solicitation covenants as anti-competitive, but they can also lead to delay in reviewing the underlying transaction. Sam, what should a company do if it becomes aware of a potential wage-fixing or no-poach conspiracy? If a company becomes aware of a potential criminal antitrust violation, it is important to act quickly to engage counsel to consider whether to file a leniency application with the DOJ Antitrust Division. The decision whether to seek leniency involves multiple case-specific factors that must be carefully considered before approaching the Antitrust Division. The Antitrust Division's leniency program offers amnesty to companies and individuals that are the first in the door to self-report participation in a criminal antitrust conspiracy and that agree to cooperate fully with the Antitrust Division on its investigation of that conduct. The Antitrust Division grants only one corporate leniency per conspiracy, so the company may be in a race with its co-conspirators or its employees who are also considering applying for leniency. 
While it might take some time to gather enough information to know for certain whether a violation has occurred, a leniency applicant may apply for what is called a marker, which holds its place in the front of the line while counsel continues their internal investigation. It is worth noting that participating in the antitrust division's leniency policy does not come without risk. While the leniency applicant may receive immunity from the antitrust division for its role in the antitrust conspiracy, the antitrust division could share information learned from the leniency applicant with other DOJ divisions that may use that information to prosecute other crimes committed through the same course of conduct. Thank you, Samantha, and thank you to our audience for listening to SNC Critical Insights. You can find additional information about these topics in our April 1st, 2021 memo entitled, What Employers Need to Know About the Changing Antitrust Ramifications of No-Poach Agreements and Other Agreements Affecting Employee Compensation, available on our website at www.solcrom.com. Thanks. Thank you.